Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, now as we hear your word, fill us with your spirit. Soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence. Sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth. Shape our wills that we may desire your ways. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, it's our continuation on worship. Once a month, we gather together as the Worship and Music Committee to discuss our worship services. We pray for guidance on how we can best glorify our Lord through intentional worship. We talk about what works and what doesn't. We talk about the feedback that we receive from all of you. Feedback of things that you like, things that you might not like. We talk about the hottest topics, which is usually the length of Ferdy's sermon. (laughs) No, it's not. It's usually the music. So once again, I did some online digging to find out how we can select the perfect music for the perfect worship service. Here's what I found. Now listen carefully, because I want to make sure that this resonates with us. I think it does. After listening carefully over the past several years, we believe we have finally determined what those who attend our church really want in music following are the items that come up most frequently whenever this topic is discussed. More fast songs in the opening praise time and more slow songs in the opening praise time. More of those wonderful, lovely old hymns and less of those stupid dead old hymns. A longer and shorter time of praise at the beginning of the service and a shorter and longer time at the end. Songs to flow quickly into each other and long periods of time between songs for reflection. More repetition of songs so they can be learned and meditated upon while singing. And less repetition of songs because it gets boring singing the same thing over and over again. More of the lovely arrangements with extra instruments and less of those showy arrangements with all those instruments. To sing the good old songs more often and to stop singing those same old songs. Songs to be sung in higher keys and lower keys. The band, this is for our praise band people, to play in the middle of the platform where they can be seen, behind the cross where there won't be a distraction, louder, softer, faster, slower, more often and not at all. (laughs) Sound familiar? If you're in our meetings, it sounds very familiar. (laughs) But that's okay, that's okay. So when we go to our meetings, we have these discussions. And back when Anna was here, she had something she would always say to us when we went through these types of discussions. She would say, is the focus on being happy or holy? Are we truly worshiping God and glorifying God or are we here to please ourselves and or the people in the pews. Now, last week we talked about what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. Today, we're gonna dig in a little bit more to discover about intentional worship and why that's important to be intentional. First, let's go ahead and read our scripture for today. Our scripture is from Psalm 95. This is a beautiful Psalm. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Come, make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. 
Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and the dry land which his hands have formed. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. Do not harden your hearts as in Meribah and as on the day in Massa when the wilderness, when your ancestors tested me and put me to proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people whose hearts go astray and they do not regard my ways. Therefore, in my anger, I swore they shall not enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. This psalm has two parts to it. It starts out with discussing worship, what we're supposed to do, and then it ends with a warning. The very first verse invites us to worship. It's an invitation. It's the privilege of worshiping the rock of our salvation. The next four verses offer praises to God and tell of God's infinite greatness. God is our creator, and we get to enter into his presence. No, we are privileged to enter into his presence to worship him. Beginning in verse six, we are told how to worship. The Hebrew word, remember this part of the Bible would have been written in Hebrew, is shachah. It means, literally translated, to bow down. Verse six emphasizes this. It says worship, it says bow down, it says kneel. I think that means something there. It symbolizes humility and humble submission. And it goes back to a little bit of what we discussed last week about worship being all in, being an all in submission to God, giving all of ourselves, every part of our lives. This submission and humility puts God ahead of all things including ourselves. We'll come back to that in a minute. The next part of the psalm is a warning. Put more gently, it's a reminder. It's a reminder that we need to trust and obey God and keep our hearts softened. These verses refer back to Exodus 17 when the people quarreled with Moses about the lack of drinking water. So Moses spoke with God, if you remember, and after that he was told to strike his staff on the rock, and he did, and the water gushed out. Moses named the place Masa, meaning testing, and Meribah, meaning quarreling. You see, despite everything the Israelites had been through and the awesome, mighty power of God that they had witnessed, they still quarreled and they neglected to trust God. They doubted his presence with them throughout the Exodus. We even find a connection back to this Psalm later on in Hebrews when the author references the failure of the Exodus generation due to their lack of faith and their hardened 
hearts. So again, our reminder to keep our hearts softened. Because when our hearts are hard and not softened, we cannot fully worship God. So how do we keep our hearts softened? We have to listen. We have to be prepared to hear God's voice. It's something we have to be intentional about during worship. C.S. Lewis says this about the perfect worship service. Every church service is a structure of acts and words through which we receive a sacrament or repent or supplicate or adore. And it enables us to do these things best, if you like, it works best when through long familiarity, we don't have to think about it. He continues with some ideas that help us to understand what he's saying. As long as you notice and you have to count the steps, you're not yet dancing, but only learning to dance. A good shoe is a shoe that you don't notice. Good reading becomes possible when you don't have to consciously think about your eyes or the lights or the prints or the spelling. So structure is important. Familiarity is important so that we know what's going on. We're gonna take a look at the structure of our worship service and what each of the parts mean and how what we're doing is helping us to hear God's voice and be able to fully worship in spirit and truth. So we'll start out, we got the prelude. You guys come on in here. Lizzie's up here at the organ ready to play. The handbells are ringing, we've got music coming in. It's great, we love to hear it. It's not just our signal to sit down and be quiet, okay? It's our reason to be still and get ready to worship God together. This follows with the welcome. So you know that you are welcome here in this place. It's not a mistake that you're here. It's not a mistake that you came here today. The announcements inform us of what's going on in our congregation. You belong here and we want you to know what's happening. So as we gather, we do all these things. And then for first time guests, we hand out a loaf of bread, not done at every church, but we use it to symbolize what you'll receive when you come here. Following the announcements, we now start to prepare for the worship service and to prepare our hearts. We have the prayer for today. It softens our hearts. It gives us time to disconnect with the world and connect with God. But in case you got distracted during that time and started thinking about your lunch, we follow this with the call to worship. The call to worship is something we do together as a congregation, calling or inviting each other to worship our God. We are reminding ourselves that now is the time to worship. And the call and response format that we use, that's intentional too. It's meant to symbolize God calling out to us and us responding. The call is followed by the affirmation of God's presence. Again, this isn't something that's always done at every church, but we find it very important here to remind ourselves, yes, God is here. He is gathered here with us because we are gathered together to worship him. So what do we do? Now we get to respond. We respond with a praise song. Why? Because we're called to make a joyful noise. We're supposed to do this. Notice the words. 
joyful noise, not perfectly in tune. It doesn't have to be perfect. I'm sorry, Sam. It is when we're up here, but you know. It may not always be perfectly in tune. That's okay. God knows the intent in our heart. You may not even be able to sing because you're so overwhelmed, or you may not feel like singing. It's okay. God knows our hearts. But that is why we do our praise song. I read somewhere that when we open the pathways of breath to sing praises to God, we are actually making space as we breathe in for the Spirit to fill us, to fill us with God's presence so that we can sing and we can praise. That's an amazing way to think about singing praises. We are being filled as we breathe in so then we can sing out. So, okay, we got a praise song. People are up here. We got the band. We're making noise. Woohoo! What about all the hand motions and the moving and all that stuff? Why do people do that? Is that just a showy-offy thing? Some places, maybe, or maybe, just maybe, that person is engaging their entire bodies in worship. That the moving of your hands helps to get you connected and to physically engage with what you're doing. It's okay to raise your hands in praise or prayer. It's okay to be still. It's what your body feels comfortable doing during that time that helps you to connect. When I talk with preschoolers about prayer or about praising and singing, we talk about when and where and how. We practice praying and singing sitting, and we practice standing. We practice with our eyes open. We practice with our eyes closed. The kids have reminded me that it's very important when their mommies and daddies are driving that their eyes have to be open when they're praying. So we will make sure that we do that. But no matter how you do it, if your intent is there, you're worshiping, you're praising, and that's good. Next, we come to the call to confession or our time of confession. It's time to remove the barriers. It's time to stop the things that are preventing us from having a relationship with God. Time to admit our sinful human nature because we are all sinners. But we get to allow God's grace to wash over us. The pardon that follows assures us that Jesus paid the price for our sins and that our relationship with God is restored because of Jesus' sacrifice. We respond with an anthem or special music. Again, God's love and grace through joy and thanksgiving and singing and praising. Next up, now it's time to listen. And we have the sermon, but first there's a prayer. We call this the prayer for illumination. And we're not asking for more lights up on the platform. We're actually asking for the Holy Spirit to open our minds and open our hearts to receive God's word and the message being brought. This is where we have to take an active role because anybody can hear, but not everybody listens. It's two different things. So you have to move from just hearing what's being said to listening and comprehending and understanding what's being said. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit works because sometimes the messages that we prepare are not the same things that the listeners receive. Sometimes the Holy Spirit moves things in a different way so those receiving the message hear something that's meant for them. It's the Holy Spirit at work. It's pretty amazing. After that, 
we come to communion or we go to the offertory. Today we're going to start with communion. So what is communion about? What's going on here? The Lord's Supper is one of two sacraments instituted by God and commended by Christ, the other being baptism. We remember not only the actual events of Christ's life, the past and the future when he comes again, we're also remembering how those events give us an identity and how they transform us today. All who believe are invited to join, regardless of appearance or aptitude. When we accept that invitation, we actively seek reconciliation in every instance of conflict or division between ourselves and our neighbors. In the eating of the bread and the drinking of the wine or grape juice, we're reminded of the sacrifice that was made for us. It's also a physical act that signifies God's love and our response to be one in Christ. As you receive the plates later today, remember to not just take them from the servers and then hand them back, but take them and pass them. You may need to stand up. You may need to move down the pew a little bit to do this. But in doing so, you are sharing the bread and you are sharing the wine. It's not just a single thing. It's sharing with the others around you. And when you do that, say, body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ shed for you. You could even add their name. You could say, body of Christ broken for you, Sonia. You could say, blood of Christ shed for you, Patrick, because it's personal. This is not just a, somebody else did this. No, Jesus did this for me for us, for all of us that are in here. Moving on to the offering. Now we get to give ourselves and all that we have back to the one that supplied our needs. Financial gifts are given to help others and to promote the gospel. We also take this time to reflect on what we've heard and pray about what that message means to us and how we can give of ourselves. The doxology that we sing, it's a song of praise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We're thanking God for the blessings that he has given us. Believing in all these things, we then offer a prayer. And then we have the prayer of the people, which is the prayers of intercession or intercessory prayer and the Lord's prayer. Believing in God's almighty power, we come to pray for one another for our world, for our leaders. It's our prayer as a congregation. And even though only one person is up here doing that prayer, we're praying it in our hearts together, right? We then join our voices together and recite the Lord's Prayer. An amazing time praying together. Now we're getting ready to go forth. So we prepared, we learned, we responded, and now we're getting ready to get back out of this building and the final hymn signifies that we will continue that praise, not just up here, but out there. Ferdy then usually does the charge and the blessing, reminding us what we are to do when we leave this, this building. And that amen that we say at the end, that's us saying, yep, we're going to do it. It's not just a word. 
we're signifying, yeah, we agree, that's right, that's what we've got to do. So remember that when you're saying the amen, you're saying, yes, I heard that, I listened, now I need to go practice that out there. So then we hear music, we have the postlude. The postlude is something that Lizzie plays as we leave. We leave the same way we came in, with music, to get ready and to exit, the same thing. Now we're going to go back a little bit to that verse 6, that whole putting God before all things, including ourselves. This is where the happy, holy thing comes into play. You see, we all have our likes and our dislikes, right? There are certain things that we love about the music. There are certain things we might not. There's things about the scripture verses, the liturgy, the lights, the sound, anything. But if we really stop and think about why we are here, it's not about us, is it? It really isn't about us at all. We're here to worship our holy living God, our Lord, our Jesus Christ, our Savior. Worship is not about us at all. It's about God. We are not here to be happy. We're not here to feel good about ourselves or to be inspired. Now, it's great when we are, right? It's great to feel good and to leave this place. Well, yeah, man, I got to go out and do stuff. But it's not about getting. It's about giving. It's about giving to God. It's the submission that we talked about before. When you bow down to someone, when you kneel before them, you are physically lower than they are. When we bow to our Creator, either physically or in spirit, we are signifying that God is greater than us. C.S. Lewis continues on, that was from an article that he wrote, and he continues on at the end saying, the perfect church service would be one we were almost unaware of. Our attention would have been on God. Nothing else matters. It's all about God. Worshiping in spirit and truth. Be all in. And when you don't like something, remember, happy or holy. Maybe that thing that you didn't like so much or that you weren't comfortable for, maybe that wasn't for you. Maybe there was somebody else here that needed that. Happy or holy, why are we here? Are we here to receive the words we want to hear, to sing the songs we want to sing, to see the people we want to see? And I love you guys so much. I love seeing all of you. But are we here to receive or are we here to give to God? to bow down and worship the only holy living Lord who is worthy of all of our praise. Amen? Amen. Amen.